This podcast is brought to you by Gridiron Heroics Media. Check the mic and make sure it sounds right, boys. Welcome, one and all, to the Gridiron Heroics Football Show. I'm Max Dean. You can find me on Twitter at TheMaxDean. And today, it is our draft show. So after a little bit of news, we're going to talk about some rookies who showed out this weekend with Nick Miriam, of course. And then we're going to talk some 2023 prospects with Nick and Owen McCuller. But before all of that good stuff, we are going to go over some news. And we've got some interesting stuff today with Julius Lux. How you doing, Julius? All is well on my end. How about yourself? I am awesome. Anytime I get to sit down, throw my noise-canceling headphones on, and talk football, that's my happy place. So I'm good to go. How about you, man? Yeah, I, I can agree with you on that. Um, not noise-canceling headphones, but uh, Beats headphones. Beats brought by Dr. Dre. Um, <laughs> other than that, yeah, I mean, football, you can't you can't beat it. Right on. So it's Thursday. It means it's draft day. Uh, we are going to be talking about some really cool rookies and prospects coming up, but I want to hear what you've got for me. You've got some some uh, tidbits here, so lay them on me. Alright, we're going to start off with a little Thursday night news. Jonathan Taylor, the Colts running back, is ruled out versus the Broncos for their game. On Thursday, he injured his ankle in Sunday's loss to the Tennessee Titans, so the star running back will not be playing. Darn shame for them. Um, easily their best player, I would say. Although, I don't even know who to point to as their best player so far this year. But but yeah, uh, it looks like it's going to be um, some kind of ankle sprain, high, low, they haven't specified. But it's not surprising that he's not ready to go and on a short week. But it is a big loss. Yeah, big loss for the Colts, big loss for a bunch of fantasy owners. Moving on, Giants quarterback Daniel Jones was limited in Wednesday's practice due to an ankle injury. Suffered this injury in Week 4's win versus Chicago. He's been getting treatment all week, but is limited for practice as of right now. Yeah, I don't know if, if they're expecting him to play. And Tyrod Taylor had a concussion, so I this could be Davis Webb rolling out this <laughs> week. We'll see about that. or Maybe Daniel Jones will be ready to go, but I, I, I would imagine if he's still limited, probably not but it's still just a little too early to tell absolutely i was listening to a uh, barton han on the way to on the way to campus on tuesday i think it was and they were talking about the uh, like how unlucky tyrod taylor is starting with like the browns era yeah it started with the browns then goes to the chargers and has his lung punctured then gets his chance with the giants and then boom out yeah oh i mean you go back even farther than that yeah absolutely happening. Absolutely. Moving on, though, uh, to some good news. Blake Martinez is signing with the Las Vegas Raiders. He was cut by the Giants right before the 2022 season. He now has a home. Of course, he used to play with the Giants and the Green Bay Packers before that. Um, Yeah. You're, you know your defense isn't looking good when you, you sign a player that was cut by a, a... Look, actually, you know, to be perfectly honest, the Giants' defense hasn't been that bad, and Blake Martinez has had his moments. But you know you're in trouble... If you're signing guys off the street, you know, they they got their win this past week. So so they're they're off the, the losing streak, but man, Raiders are not not what people hoped they would be. 
they're not. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna see if I can get Mario on the show to preview the Monday night game and see what his take is on everything that's happening. But um, yeah, Blake Martinez, hopefully not seeing significant snaps for you. Absolutely. Moving on to some retirement news. Cole Beasley has announced his retirement after 11 seasons in the NFL. He has played two games with Tampa Bay this year, but he's going to call it a career. Played the majority of his career with the Dallas Cowboys, then joined the Buffalo Bills in 2019. And then, of course, signed with the Bucks. And as I mentioned before, just a few seconds ago, he played for two games, and now he's going to focus on being a family man. Kind of a coincidence when you come to the whole Tom Brady news that's going on. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe he knew that he was going to get released because some of the other guys are coming back healthy. Um, and, and so he's like, all right, I'm just going to retire. I'm not going to bounce around to other teams. Or or maybe the the energy there, maybe like the vibe down in Tampa is, is kind of stressful. And he's like, look, forget it. You know what I mean? I've been through too much to, to deal with this. It, it's It could be either one of those things. Um, but obviously something prompted it. You know, you don't walk away from hundreds of thousands of dollars just because when you signed with the team two weeks ago. So there was some some prompt, but maybe maybe they just weren't going to keep him or maybe there is something more to it than that. Who knows? Yeah, I'm sure maybe eventually we'll get the real reason why. But we, of course, you know, wish him on his life moving forward. Another player is retired, retiring. Blake Bortles, eight year career in the NFL. Claim he hadn't touched a football since January, so he's going to call it a career. He kept it on the low, but now is public with it. He's a former third overall pick, played most of his years with the Jacksonville Jaguars, holds multiple single season, holds multiple single season franchise records. Great career for him over there. He did lead them to the AFC Championship that one year. That was the one promised year. Former UCF Knight, little hometown <laughs> hero there. But other than that... Yep, he's also hanging up the cleats. Uh, yeah, I mean, great career is probably a gen- generous way to, to phrase it. I had it. to be I generous. Mean, yeah, look, look, I think anybody who plays for, you know, more than, okay, first of all, anybody who even gets a chance to try out on an NFL field, it, it, they are the minority, right? So we have to give them props for that. Anybody who lasts for a few years, got to give them props for that. And anybody who, you know makes it deep into the playoffs, you got to give him props for that too. So the reality is I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, dump all over this guy, but I mean, you know, I, I just think great career when you compare it to the other players who have had, you know, truly great careers is a, that's just a, a nice way to put it. But yeah, look, I mean, you know, long career, he had a hot minute there where things looked really good and, and, Ultimately, it didn't work out for, you know, the length of time that I'm sure Jacksonville fans would have liked that he would have liked. But, you know, now he's a wealthy man and he can retire at age like 31 or whatever he is. I'm a nice guy, especially when it comes to the athletes I've learned over the years, especially from being an athlete. You know, if you're in the league, it's it's a great career. Yeah, Although, you know, we, cl- we, we do clown him. We do clown him. And, you know, he didn't he didn't show off the third overall pick type of vibes we would expect to see. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you know, UCF, I have to keep that in mind. A little hometown action there. I did see him train for the NFL Combine one time during a, during a tour at UCF when I was in middle school. It was really cool. Yeah. You know, look, I, I try and really, I'd really genuinely try not to clown on any player because it is such such uh 
an accomplishment to be in the NFL. And, and the only time I clone on anybody is for, you know, off the field stuff, generally speaking. And, you know, absolutely. I try not to get too personal about it, but I, I also couldn't help but laugh with your phrasing there. <laughs> I had to. I knew as soon as I said great career, I was like, you're going to find that funny. <laughs> I'm like, let me, I'm like, let me slide with this. Let me be nice. All right, we'll move on to some good news, though. The commanders designate Brian Robinson to return to practice. This move comes one month after he was shot in the leg where he suffered multiple wounds. None of them, of course, seem to be very, you know, severe. And he's back on the field, which is some good news. It is unsure when he will be active. I'm sure it'll take some time to build his speed up, build his agility. But he's back on the field, and that's amazing news to hear, especially with what happened. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's when we first reported on that, it was clear that he got off incredibly lucky in that situation. Mm -hmm. I mean, because basically the word was it's like nothing life threatening, all good to go. We expect him back in a few months. And it's like, okay, well, obviously it didn't hit bone. Obviously it didn't hit any artery. Like, you know what I mean? That, that, you know, that says a lot about what happened, but still impressive for him to come back. And hopefully by the time he gets back, their season is still even remotely relevant. You know, I think at this point they need to win probably at least the, at least one of the next two games. If, if they don't want their season to be over immediately, you know, and if they don't, if they don't, if they go own two over the next few weeks, you know, by the time he's back, It'll basically be an evaluation year. And to keep in mind, too, and we did first report on this, this was when Antonio Gibson's starting job was in question. He had the fumbled right. games in the preseason, and this it looked like he was going to be the guy, and then this happened, and it was it shook up the whole, like, the news story, especially with Gibson, more on Gibson's case than anything. Yeah, yeah, right. absolutely. I mean, I... <sighs> Look, they have a lot of good skill players there. That's not the problem. Like, that's not the issue. And bringing Ro Brian Robinson back is great and all, but but it's not like he's filling a void uh, of, of a key thing that they're missing. You know what I mean? More talent's always mm -hmm. good, but, uh, you know, I'm not expecting that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Nick, if you're listening, but <laughs> I'm not <laughs> expecting <laughs> I'm not expecting that to be the, uh, you know, the savior. The savior. Moving on, the Bucks head coach Todd Bowles missed practice on Wednesday due to personal reasons. He should be back on Thursday. Tom Brady was at the facility, but he did not practice. They wanted to rest him up, make sure he was all good after the shoulder incident. So Tom Brady should be good to go for Sunday. They just want to play it safe because, you know, he's 45 years old. Yeah. You know, there, there are some weird vibes in Tampa. I mean, you had Bruce Arians out late. But he's still on the sideline. He's still, like, really, really present. You had Brady retire. You had Brady come back. You had... You have Brady going away in the summer and then coming back. And I know that, you know, that's probably personal. But some of that stuff just bleeds into the locker room over time. Now you got Bulls leaving. You have this weird immediate retirement from Beasley. You know, I still have them ranked really highly in my power rankings, but... I I wouldn't be surprised if things are kind of on a razor's edge there. Just no one specific thing, but just kind of all that all that together, you know. Absolutely. We always see the drama kind of unfolding in Tom Brady's case because he is the best football player we've seen in the last 20 something years. 
And when it comes to the end of the season, no matter what seed he is in the playoffs, he's still going to find a way to win. Yeah. That's that's yeah. all I have to really say to that because I'm sure they're <laughs> going to make the playoffs. I, the division isn't so strong. They, they're going to probably take it, I would assume. And when it comes to the postseason, I think no one knows how to win more than Tom Brady does. No, that's that's very fair. I mean, maybe the speculation is about as pointless as anything else out there, you know, because mm-hmm. we saw it the other day. I mean, they went down 28 to whatever, 28 to 10 or something like that in, in the first half. And he just was incredibly efficient, just willing them back to the point where we had to sit and watch the last couple of minutes of the game just to make sure that nothing crazy happened. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's, yeah, that's Tom Brady for you. So maybe, maybe anything else that happens there is, you know, more or less irrelevant to wins. Yeah. I think it's just more of just the spotlight, just Tom Brady yeah. being there. Everything's all eyes are on Tampa Bay for like the first time since they won the Super Bowl in 2002. It's just unbelievable how much attention he draws. And this even <laughs> comes with off the field, of course, because there's the divorce thing that's going on now. And his retirement, he announced it, and then all of a sudden he comes back 40-something days later. His retirement lasted shorter than the Major League Baseball strike, if that says anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's also funny because in New England, this never would have happened. This all would have been under wraps. It all would have been buttoned up. Like, it, you know, people would have had maybe an idea that there was like <laughs> something happening. But in Tampa, it's a different vibe. You know, things are kind of bleeding out into the public. And uh, Bill wouldn't allow it. <laughs> yeah, no, but he, not a chance. He would not have kept him off the podium or something, anything. Mm-hmm. But, you know, still, he still gets a fair amount of, you know, high end treatment from the media because. Absolutely. When he goes out there, they don't even ask him like a lot of personal questions. You know what I mean? Like they they tend to steer clear for the most part. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's just all eyes are on Tampa. They're watching mm-hmm. Tom Brady's every move. He's forty five, tail end of his career, and he still looks great. I mean, what can you say? All right. What all else right, you last, have for us before we close out here? Yeah, last piece for you. Just our. Players of the week have been announced, so we're just sending a little congratulations. Shout out to these fellas over here. Geno Smith, NFC Offensive Player of the Week. Patrick Mahomes, AFC Offensive Player of the Week. Hassan Reddick, NFC Defensive Player of the Week. I think this is the third time an Eagles defender has been recognized for Defensive Player of the Week. Second of the week, I think there was a, a, a defensive player for the Eagles that was for the month. So shout out to the Eagles doing really well. I mean, I hate to see it as a Cowboys fan, but you got to respect it. Jordan Poyer, NFC, uh, AFC Defensive Player of the Week. Greg Joseph, NFC Special Teams Player of the Week. And Evan McPherson will take the AFC Special Team Player of the Week. So congratulations to these guys. Yeah, I think everybody there, you're, you're kind of like, okay, check, okay, check. I expect you here, check. Except Geno Smith showing out for the Seattle Seahawks. I love to see it. Dropping what forty eight points on the Lions, man. I Lions can't stop it. anybody, but yeah, yeah. Geno Smith with a big, big, big game. I think I saw somewhere the Lions have like a top three points scored offensively, but they're one and three. It's just their defense is just, just not not shaping up right now. Literally cannot stop anything. Like yeah, they, they can't. They cannot even force a field goal. Like it's they sad. are. 
All right. Great. Well, thanks, Julius. I appreciate you coming on and doing the news for us today. Uh, big part of the show, as always. Now, let everybody know where they can find you before we see you again tomorrow. So on Twitter, you can find me, GotJuice44. That's GotJuice44 on Twitter. You can find me on gridironheroics.com. Just search up my name and you'll find everything. And on Facebook, you can find me at just searching my name, Julius Lux. All right, beautiful. We will see you tomorrow, which is going to be our, uh, we're going to do a quick Thursday recap and uh, Thursday night recap and pick every game for the Sunday slate of NFL. So before that, as always, we're going to have you going through the news. Have a good one, man. Take care. Have a good one. With the third pick in the 2019 NFL draft, the New York Jets select. Oh, bless you. Thank you. All right, we are back to talk about the rookie class this year with our lead draft analyst, Nick Miriam. How are you doing today, Nick? Doing well. Um, got a little sleep this morning, which was much needed. Um, checking out some of these rookies. It was a, it was a very eventful week for this rookie class. Uh, not just the rookies, but the sophomore class too. We are. It's the quarter mark, right? That's that's what everyone it used to be the quarter mark because we're now in eighteen week season. So it's a little strange. I guess technically after Thursday night, it's going to be the quarter mark, but <laughs> we're getting a little bit. I don't know this is a large enough sample size to really kind of say we know what some of these players are, but it's 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 a nice four-game stretch. We've seen what, at least early on, a lot of these guys are going to be. And I think for year two guys especially, we're getting an answer on whether those picks were worth it or not, especially for a lot of higher-drafted guys. Um, yeah. Now, quarterbacks, it's a little different, as we'll talk about, but there's, there's a lot. There's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, we're not always going to talk about sophomores, but I, I do think that we have to kind of look back periodically because yeah. it's not like you know what a rookie's career is going to, like what their career trajectory is going to look like after just a rookie year. And a quarter of the season mark, I think we're, you know, I think we can still we can still colloquially call, colloquially call week four the quarter mark. I think it makes sense. So, yeah. Let's jump right in. Like you said, we had quite a few performances that do need to be pointed out. So I'm going to throw it to you. Who's the first one you want to talk about? So we've talked about the Jets a lot on this segment, specifically about their current rookie class. But I was really excited to watch this morning the Jets-Steelers game because of specifically Kenny Pickett, but also Zach Wilson. And we don't have to really get into the Zach Wilson nitty-gritty because this is a rookie segment. But what I will say is I thought the poise from both quarterbacks was exceptional for where, you know, Wilson has been at this point, where I don't think a lot of people really believed in him, and I thought he stepped in and played really a nice game. It wasn't brilliant, but it was good enough, and I think if he plays like that every week, this Jets team is talented enough that they might be better than a lot of people thought they were. Uh, now for Pittsburgh, and a lot of people were calling for Pickett to be starting Way earlier than this, those people were probably correct. I'm usually not a big rush-the-quarterback-out-there type guy. I, I remember Dwayne Haskins in Washington, and now that's a different story because that guy was drafted by the owner, um, not the, right. the actual coaches, and the coaches knew he wasn't ready, but the, the media pressure kind of got him out there, and he wasn't ready at all. Pickett, we kind of saw in preseason the guy had some ability, and I would say he even may have looked better 
in this game than he did in preseason. Now, I know he threw three interceptions, and a lot of people are going to look at that and think he didn't play too well, but in reality, he added a little bit with his legs, which is something this team hasn't had since young Rottlesberger. He completed every pass he threw outside of the interceptions, and then the three picks he threw, one was a Hail Mary, which is, you know, I don't really, it's a Hail Mary, you know, someone's going to catch it probably most of the time, and then he had, a, uh, I believe, a tipped ball. It was a jump ball to, to Chase Claypool, which was a nice play with the Jets' defensive backs to, to get the interception, but I also felt Claypool made a pretty horrific play on the ball himself, and it was a pretty good throw, so I'm not going to knock him on that one. The one to the sideline to Fryermuth was a little bit more concerning, but only because it was just like a rookie play. Like This guy was yeah. fading away from the sideline, threw it off his back foot, ball was thrown a little high, and still even on that play... He was kind of unlucky that it got picked off because yeah. really the ball got deflected. It was a difficult play for the Jets defenders. And um, I believe Michael Carter, the other one, the defensive player, uh, just made a, a diving catch. And it's, you know, what are you going to do? So I honestly and you know, didn't know that I'd be saying this at this point in the season, but I thought Pickett played pretty well. And I would I would give the Jets credit for overcoming it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I look, I think I am... It's not a, a cut-and-dry conversation, but I am generally pro-get the quarterback out there because the reality is that for the most part in the NFL, you learn by playing. It's it's a lot harder to learn by sitting and watching. You know, Even if you sit and watch, you, you got to get in there and spot duty at times just to, to get your feet wet. I think maybe for a guy like Haskins, you could... Be de- it could be detrimental to his career if it's truly, truly too early. But for a guy like Pickett, who had so much time at Pitt, I think, you know, it, it was time sooner rather than later. The Mitch Trubisky thing, I think, honestly, they played him from a combination of, of Mike Tomlin's kind of old-school mentality and the fact that they paid him, you know, a, a, a bit more than the vet minimum or, or backup quarterback-type money. And so they wanted to at least give him the opportunity. Um he looked good out there, man. Like you said, the Hail Mary interception, just throw that away. Um, I thought the other two were, were definitely bad decisions, but they were also the kind of bad decisions where where the player could have come down with the ball and people would have been hailing this as an incredible performance. You know, So it's like he's going to have to learn who can make what kind of play for his own team, who he can trust with that. Um, he's going to have to just learn some of that rookie stuff about how fast defenders play. But the reality is he did look poised. He looked confident. He brought energy, which is a huge deal from that position just because they are the leader and, and everything flows through them. So, you know, took a big hit on, uh, on, on one attempt, got up laughing. Like, that, that just changes the energy. And that's actually why the Jets ended up going down and, and being, uh, uh, they ended up behind in that game in the fourth quarter. So overall, a definitely big time arrows up on Pickett. And he looks athletic. He, he scored two touchdowns on the ground. And they weren't just like, you know, quarterback sneaks at the goal line, fall forward. Like they were, they were legitimate plays. Um, so I, I thought he did a really, really nice job, to be perfectly honest. I agree with you. As far as Zach Wilson, the, the reality is that you can't point to that game and say it was a clean performance, but I think every great quarterback 
has those game-winning drives in them and a certain poise that that happens in the fourth quarter. And he displayed that. So if nothing else, he showed a lot of escapability, um, good pocket awareness. You know, I know you don't want guys scrambling before it's necessary. I felt like he always left the pocket at the right time. And then that final drive was big time for sure. If we had this performance from Zach Wilson week one last year, I think a lot of people would be singing his praises and saying this guy's going to be really, really good. I think think we're just kind of, you know, he had a down last year was year one. And this is the tough thing about quarterbacks is you draft them for year two, but often the reason we get hitched to them years after that. And we have guys like Daniel Jones, we don't know is because they give you performances that are up and down and teams kind of fall for it sometimes. Now, when you have a trajectory like Wilson, where, we saw weeks last year where he played really well, like against the Titans. But in my opinion, he didn't really look like the player we saw at BYU that much. And he didn't look confident. This week, I thought he looked confident. And I thought he looked like the player at BYU. The escapability you talked about. He made some athletic plays to get the ball away, even just throwing the ball away. And the one pick was was not great. The other one's a tip ball that I would not put on him at all. It's got to be caught. Completion percentage could be better, but I just think if the the reason they drafted this guy was to be able to make plays off script, and he not only I thought I think showed some of that and more of that today or on Sunday, but he also just had some really nice rhythm throws and the, and the poise to keep them in that game late, lead two late drives in Pittsburgh, really tough place to play. It was cold. Threw up again, threw two picks and still standing in the pocket making throws. I just. I, I, I was pleasantly surprised by that. And, and you mentioned Pickett's running ability again. I, he, this is an underrated athlete. He's going to be able to do that for them. And, you know, I, I think that that's, again, something that they don't really lose from Trubisky being out. And I think that was a big thing for some people. They were like, oh, the O-line's bad, so Trubisky's running ability kind of adds a little bit. Well, I don't know that he's that much better of a runner than Pickett. Like, he might be bigger a little bit, but... I think Pickett, if they want to use him as a runner, they can. I don't know that they will, but clearly he showed that ability. Um, and then and also in this game, by the way, George Pickens' first 100-yard game, he might just be a better Chase Claypool for them because, again, that Claypool play that ends up being an interception, that's the play you're expecting Claypool to make. Like You want him downfield one-on-one catching a jump ball. That's been his thing. He's been like a lesser Mike Evans, and he doesn't come up with it. And then you see Pickett going back to George Pickens and making a lot of these back shoulder contested throws downfield, and Pickens is just coming up with all of them. And this is not necessarily the player that I thought he was going to be because I knew he had great ability at the catch point, body control, hands. I thought he'd be a better separator. He hasn't really shown that yet. But to this point, he looks like a much better Chase Claypool. Like He is just making these crazy hands catches, you know, parallel to the ground with his body it's just it's it's been impressive he's clearly a guy who's going to stick on this team and 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 be be a I think he'll contribute more and more as the year goes on and the underrated part of having Pickett playing now is that you're going to get more out of your other draft pick high up George Pickens yeah I I like George Pickens a lot on the field I think he's going to be a streaky player I think I just see that in his game early Uh, I think he's going to have monster games and then he'll have games where um, he'll get frustrated, but he is a, a matchup problem from a physicality standpoint, and his hands are are outstanding. I think, you know, 
Chase Claypool has been disappointing to me at this point. I was so high on him after what he was able to do in his rookie year. They utilized him in ways that didn't, you know, require him to be a tremendous route runner. They got him on, um, you know, they got him on fades. They got him on, uh, you know, giving him some end rounds around the goal line so that, you know, he could use his size and speed um, to punch it in. And they used him in a number of different ways that, that didn't require him to be a... Um, as refined but the idea was that that refinement was gonna take place over time and I haven't seen that what the biggest thing that I that that Claypool is missing to me is football situational awareness monster athlete you know all-world athlete but there have just been so many times where he's like he's not aware of the clock or he's not aware of the down and distance he's not aware that of the hot read he just I'm not sure he's going to be able to overcome that at this point in year three. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been an issue and this is why they keep drafting receivers. I mean, they have had like, they found a lot of like really good number two options in my opinion. And Claypool is another one and they might continue to draft these day two receivers as there's so much talent just because they've done a really good job developing them, getting a lot out of them. If you get a guy like Claypool who ultimately is a low-end number two and his best year for you might look like a low-end number one and you pay him a f- you know his four-year rookie deal and you get out of it and you let him go somewhere else and get a comp pick, you're not going to be upset with that if you're Pittsburgh. And they've mm-hmm. done this. So, um, you know, I think um, that there's a reason they took George Pickens in the second round. For sure, and I think he's legit number one caliber. So yes. let's just see some consistency. Um, I know I don't want to be hard on him because it's only his you know, fourth game out there, but I like what I see. Moving along here, I know Kyron brought this up on the podcast earlier in the week when he talked about offensive linemen, but Jamari Sawyer stepped in this week at left tackle for Rashawn Slater and was brilliant. This one I did not see coming, and I know this is a guy a lot of people were higher on. He slipped because he had an injury. I don't know why guys fall so much because of injuries, because honestly, all these teams have good medical, well, I don't know about good medical staffs, but medical <laughs> staffs are well-equipped to, to get these players in the field if they don't have anything serious. Um, this is a guy that I believe had a third-round grade, maybe fourth. So higher, higher than, than and that's around where most people, I think, had him in the draft community. He was very clearly a guard to me. I did not see this guy playing tackle and playing well right off the bat because he has kind of the guard body type. And I talked about this a lot with Elijah Vera Tucker. We're going to talk about it with another USC guy, Andrew Voorhees, this year. When you put a guard outside a tackle, generally there's a there's a saying that, you know, you want your smartest offensive lineman in the middle. The centers are kind of tasked with making all the calls, making all the signals. There's a lot going on in the middle. Guards also have to, like, kind of keep their eyes on every, the things inside and outside of them tackles just kind of like you're either on a four tech five tech nine tech or stand up edge rusher whoever it is don't let them get around you or inside of you but usually around you and you off honestly you often see these guards get out at left tackle and college teams of injuries and they're thinking too much they're just they're scanning they're looking and it's like just hit the guy to your left that's that's what's important like he's going to get to the quarterback mm-hmm. quickest that's their best pass rusher or usually their best pass rusher so I had concerns about that. He did have that issue in college, and to his credit, uh, from the little bit I've seen so far that Chargers game, he looked like a tackle. He was focused on his assignment consistently, kept in front of his man. Footwork looked pretty good. 
I think that they're going to give this guy a shot at the right side when uh, yes, Slater. I don't know if he's coming back. He's probably is he not? He's out for the year, right? Slater. He's out for the full so, year. Yeah. So he's uh, Solier is going to be their their left tackle for the rest of the season, which is good, really big for the Chargers because I was very concerned about this team's contention chances, and I think just this guy being able to step in and play for them right here, right now, and, and look good off the bat. Against a team that has Jerry Hughes and John Greer, like those are two 30 pressure year guys. The Texans aren't slouches in terms of pass rush. It's not the best pass rush, but it's it's in the middle. It's it's very good for LA. And they, they needed it because this season was quickly turning into into disaster mode, and this is a rare break for it seems for the Chargers. Yeah, well, I still put them very high on my power rankings this week, and that was a big part of it because you've got to be able to to you know, you've got to be able to block it up. And I think after a solid bounce back performance um, from Justin Herbert, he looks a little bit more healthy. It was it was easier for me to envision the pathway for them to having a good solid to even good remainder of the year, get to the playoffs and, you know, rely on on his playmaking ability as as things go on. But that left tackle position is really, really big. I mean, they have been making investments there to try and shore it up. They, you know, obviously got Zion Johnson this year, um, drafted Rayshon Slater last year, got Jamar Sawyer uh, later in the draft as well. So, I mean, they're doing their best, and and sometimes injury is what it is, and there's not much you can do. But the fact that they had this guy that was able to step in and play left tackle is is very, very impressive. I think we will see him going up against better edge rushers. There's no doubt. Because like you said, Jerry Hughes, he was one of the better pass rushers from like a, a pure third down type standpoint throughout his career. But he's getting a little bit older at this point. He's a wily vet. He still has some burst. Um, and, and, you know, that's the kind of player that you would think would give a player like Sawyer trouble early, right? Because, you know, he has a lot of physical tools aside from maybe length. But the the guys who have these well-developed pass rush plans, that's who you would think like a six-round rookie would probably struggle with more. So, I mean, I I, I don't want to overhype, just like Kyron said. I don't want to get yeah. too, too excited. But but that that's not a bad pass rush unit. We will see him play better ones. But I think what he showed was enough that you, you know, can be tentatively quite excited if you're a Chargers fan. It's not Storm Norton. That's right, that's right. the key. Like they aren't going to have a he's not Herbert's not going to be running for his life for the rest of the year. He might not have perfect protection every game, but yeah, oh true. Um, we'll see. Maybe they try Zion Johnson at right tackle because he has some tackle playing experience. But this is it's not a disaster anymore. I don't know that they have the best offensive line in the league, but it's not a disaster. Um, and that's big. And I also moved them. I was I was top ten on them. Moved them out to like sixteen on my kind of joke Twitter power rankings and I moved them back up to, to, to number eight this week. So because of that, uh, really quickly, just a couple guys I want to touch on. Uh, Patriots Jack Jones has been excellent through four weeks this week. We saw it pay off with a pick six. This guy, they took a lot higher than I expected him to go. This is a guy who was a five-star recruit. He was at USC. He had some off-field things, had to transfer, um, and was at Arizona State. Didn't really play excellent as a Sun Devil. And I kind of marked him as like a sixth, seventh round guy because I didn't expect that 
the lack of production kind of in college. And although he has some athleticism, it wasn't like peak, in my opinion, that he would really be a player year one to really work out. And he also played a lot of slot corner. The Patriots are moving him out wide some, and he looks kind of plays like a veteran. Like he he's seeing the game faster than most young corners do. And you kind of saw that on the pick six against Green Bay. So the Patriots just continue to find these kind of unknowns at corner who end up playing really well for them right away. And it's it's just been a strength of the Belichick regime kind of forever. Yeah, I think I called him John Jones on the podcast earlier this week. They have too many Joneses. Yeah. Too many too many Jones quarterbacks. JC yeah. Jackson, Jonathan Jones. Yeah. 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 Marcus Jones. I mean, what's with all these Jones? I I like <laughs> is this a gamesmanship thing here? It's definitely guess, messing me up. Um but uh yeah, I mean, what what is it that they know that nobody else does? Is it, it's just one of those things where they have a specific skill set that they look for, a specific combination of skills. Either you can do this and this, or you can do this and that, and we know that that works within our system. So it's if there's any team that truly knows who they are and what they need, it's I think it's the Patriots. I think if there's yeah. any team that doesn't get caught up in in athletic traits. Any team that does not get caught up in any kind of hype, um, that's that's the team. So I think that's one of the reasons they're always good, but may have now limitations that they don't have Tom Brady there anymore. You know, I think yeah. you, you suddenly have to play from the same playing field as everybody else, on the same level as everybody else, when you don't have that ace up your sleeve. And so I don't think they'll ever be awful, or you know, they won't consistently be bad, but we have to see them build another championship type team, you know, around a different kind of player. Yeah. And I think, I mean, the one thing that they've struggled with is kind of weapons receivers, finding different types of running backs that can do more than just run out of I formation. And that's going to be more and more of an issue for this team as offensive innovation becomes the name of the league. Mm -hmm. uh, and we're seeing that, I think. One last guy. Uh, this is going a little longer than we hoped, maybe. Uh, no, Tyler. We, good 25, 30 minutes we're cool yeah. with. All right, cool. Um, this guy was my running back two, uh, right behind. No, running back three, sorry, behind Kenneth Walker and Brees Hall. Would have been the first guy I would have taken after the second round. BYU's Tyler Algier, who ended up going in the fifth round to Atlanta, was not a peak athlete. But, again, I talked about, I think, that's, I've definitely mentioned it multiple times on this podcast either in the college segment or on this rookie segment how i want running backs who have low center of gravity bulked up and will just run through and commit to the whole big mike tolbert guy basically like just from experience know that i would never want to tackle a guy like that um i'd much rather tackle quite frankly you know the kenneth walkers of the world because although they're shifty if you hit that guy correctly he can get chopped down you know um Although he's a little, he's got a little, it's it's not Najee Harris who really has that concern, in my opinion, where he's just a bit of a receiver build at running back. But anyways, moving on. Tyler Algier has stepped in for Cordero Patterson. He had 10 carries for 84 yards. He His big run was kind of just really well blocked, and he got to the outside, did drag a defender five yards at the end of it. But I'm really looking forward to this guy as their starter now going forwards because I think he's going to produce. He's just... So perfectly built for today's NFL, where especially in a zone scheme, he can really hit the hole. A linebacker is not going to want to hit this guy any lower than 
he's going to, I mean, it's, it's a leverage game, right? So, and he is built very difficult to get low on. So he's just going to get natural yards. And I, I think this is the type of back you look for in today's NFL, where when teams know you're going to run the ball, they crowd the box. And it's kind of sometimes said that defensive run defense is a choice. If you put guys in the box, you'll stop the run. If you don't, you won't. This guy gives you a free extra one or two yards every time he hits the hole correctly, just because you're not going to drag him to the ground without getting kind of popped. He's just, he's a mm-hmm. big dude. He's, he's, I, I don't remember his exact measurables, but I want to say he's at the minimally 240 pounds and he's not like tall either. I think he's like six, six foot. So it's just a bowling ball. It's just, and he's, he's not the best athlete, but consistently at BYU, he would just wear teams down because yeah, it's colder in Utah, but you don't want to tackle this guy more than once a game, quite frankly. It just it's, it is a pain. It's a pain mm-hmm. to bring this guy down. It's not quite Derrick Henry because that guy can move and he's just a freak. But in an offense that's based off the Titans, I would be interested to see if they can replicate some of that success on the ground if they feed Algier and get him going downhill. Because, again, this guy's a tank. And I just I think my comp for him was Blastoise. Um, I, I, <laughs> that was the best to come up with. And I just, I think it's, it's just such an, an easy one because if you ever get a guy who clearly can stick athletically, even if he's not the best athlete in the NFL and he has these measurables at the running back position and uses them, it's just, he's not going to ever be the best running back in the NFL, but he's going to have a pretty high floor. Uh, yeah, well. Initially coming out of college, I wasn't sure if he would get drafted high because he's a zone runner without top end speed, you know, and and I just generally speaking, those teams who run that, which is a lot, a lot of them now, mm-hmm. they're looking for that guy with burst. You know what I mean? The 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 49ers are, are keep coming back to guys with speed. The Jets drafted Brees Hall for that exact reason. Um, Derrick Henry, high end speed. Um, I just wasn't sure who was going to see that build and be like, that's what we want for our, for our team. I mean, I knew he'd get drafted. I just didn't, I didn't know if it was, was going to be particularly early. Um, and Cordero Patterson. So that was an interesting, interesting signing for them last year, because I think it was maybe the first week of the year where I saw them playing and I was like, Oh, I see it. Like he looks like Derrick Henry playing in this scheme because he's an upright runner, tall, big, you know, runs with with a long stride, has speed. If you get him moving laterally, you know, I, I shouldn't say lateral. If you get him moving horizontally, but he is moving straight, he can build up that speed and he can hit the edge and he can go. Which is kind of what Derrick Henry does, but you know, I think Derrick Henry brings you a little bit more still between the tackles as well. But the, the idea is that he's so fast and so big that if you get him up to speed, he's so tough to tackle. Cordero Patterson is kind of the same. So, you know, he was never the greatest route runner, right? And he was he he never had the true running back traits that you're going to give him the ball out of eye formation consistently. And he's going to hit the hole, you know, and make a jump cut and make a guy miss. That's just not how he moves. But give Arthur Smith credit. He saw this player and was like, that's going to work with what I want to do. Now, 
Algiers a little different because he doesn't have that that top end speed, but they definitely like size there. They want to build a bully. They prioritize Kyle Pitts. They prioritize Drake London. They prioritized him and Cordero Patterson. All of their skill players are just big. So I'm curious to see, you know, if they ever hit a point where they can't keep up with other teams, you know, speed. Because if they keep going at this pace, they will build a bigger, slower team. But some of these guys they're getting because other teams are are undervaluing them due to speed. Yeah, and I'm a little over on his size. He's actually 5'11", 220. I, I think maybe that BYU had him a little bigger than that, so maybe they I blame them for that. But <laughs> still, uh, I the speed is is interesting. Because you're right, in a zone scheme, that, that, that kind of initial burst after going from kind of a diagonal upfield cut to, to straight downfield is a big part of zone when you, you, know, you kind of read if it's an outside zone from the outside gap inwards. And the idea is as soon as you see that gap, the zone scheme makes it easy for running back to just shoot upfield through it. I think there's something to be said for long speed helping with that but I think more importantly with running backs at least on the initial cut is your ability to put your foot in the ground and get straight up field and also just your decisiveness Mm -hmm. so although they might be losing some that speed I think Algier can make up for it with his decisiveness and his his vision but they won't have the ability to kind of pop off these 60 yard runs that Derrick Henry can because of his long speed which you know I don't know that Cordero did a whole lot of that anyways because their offensive line doesn't really give them holes big enough but they've schemed it so that he definitely pops up a lot of 20-yard runs that was a fantastic signing just side note I, I always thought he was a good player I didn't know where he would fit but just having a guy who fits as a runner in that scheme and then also off play action just throw him a flat and he's just so dynamic with the ball in his hands it's a loss for them so I think they're going to be hurt going down from Patterson to Algier but I, I just selfishly and excited to watch Algier play. Yeah. I, I like um I, I like what he brings. I think also you cannot dismiss what you talked about earlier, the the idea of having to tackle him over and over and over again. There's guys gonna be who start to make business business decisions. I mean like you even saw that with Jalen Ramsey against Debo Samuel on on, on Monday night. Like Jalen Ramsey makes that tackle against just about anybody else in the open field. You know what I mean? And he tried to go low and, and hit the legs and, and not really get in there. I mean, that's going to that's gonna happen if you have an effective run game. You know, if you're popping it for four or five yards a carry, you know, there's going to be times when he's going to pop off a few 20-yard runs just because guys aren't going to want to, you know, stick their nose in there. And so... I think there are benefits to it, and you've got to be able to recognize what the skills are, you know, what he brings to the table. And, and um, again, credit to the Falcons for, for, for finding that. You know, it's just, it's, mm-hmm. I think the questions about speed is more of a long-term thing than an immediate thing. And I'm glad you bring up Debo because that is the, it's a similar body type. He's a little bit shorter, Algier, which I actually think – I hate this idea that we need to put like limits on running back height. I actually think like shorter running backs is where we're moving. I think I'd rather have a guy who's 5'8", 210 than a guy who's 6'3", 200 because, again, in a league where 
low man wins. The 6'3", 200-pound guy just gets hit in his legs and not only gets chopped down, he's, he gets injured sometimes because he's getting hit in the legs. There's not many Adrian Petersons anymore. Those guys don't really exist. Najee mm-hmm. Harris, I think, is a good player, but you're seeing some of his limitations with that. And I, I think Brian Robinson this week, who I'm excited for for Washington, is a guy who might be able to make it work because he's taller. But I also have some concerns about his ability just because of him being that type of back that is going to be a one-cut taller running back who needs to just rely on his athleticism and ability to work in tight spaces you don't need a guy like this to be like Debo to like really use the space to get to get extra yards because he's going to slip tackles he's going to push for extra yards and late in game especially in like bad weather it's it just it's easier to break tackles in bad weather because just thinking about it you know when those jerseys are wet they are hard they're hard to grab when it's dry when it's mm-hmm. wet, you just slide off, guys. It is tough. Yeah, yeah. I love, I personally am a big fan of football being basically a three-season sport. You know what I mean? You get yeah. you get the summer games, you get the fall games, you get the winter games, and you kind of deal with it, deal with something everywhere. You you kind of have to take advantage of your opportunity, too, because if you're a, a, a down-south team, like, you got to win those early games and utilize that to your advantage, like we saw Miami do. If you're a cold-weather team, if you're Buffalo, you know what I mean? You that might be tough for you, but when winter rolls around, you're going to be having teams come to play in your house. I think it was in Buffalo last year. The the um, or maybe that was in New England. The the ridiculous win game. So I, I'm a big fan of that. I'm I'm a big fan of of the that element of football. So all right, that'll do it for us today. As far as the rookies go, we'll be back here in just a minute to talk about some 2023 prospects for the week. Alrighty, we are back with Owen McCuller joining us to talk about some 2023 prospects. Guys, you know, at this time, I basically hand it over to you. I give my small little feedback, but I am kind of an auxiliary piece for 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 uh, for what we do here. So we had another week of college football, another week of performances from 2023 prospects. And I want to see, look, one thing I do want to I want to bring to this one is a reaction uh, from you guys. So uh, before I jump in with, or before you guys jump in with some of your specific takes on specific prospects, I just wanted to, to include this here. I have the Draft Network's top 10 prospects for 2023 here, and I want to see how we feel about this from you guys, okay? Okay. I'm going to go down from 10 to 1, and we don't have to spend a ton of time on this, but I want any anything where you're like, whoa, wait a minute, or you're like, how do they not have this guy on there, okay? Okay. Uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba, wide receiver from Ohio State at 10. Michael Mayer, tight end from Notre Dame at 9. Brian Breezy, interior defensive line from Clemson at 8. Cam Smith, corner from South Carolina at 7. Jordan Addison, wide receiver from USC at 6. CJ Stroud, quarterback, Ohio State at 5. Miles Murphy, edge from Clemson at 4. Bijan Robinson, running back from Texas at three. Jalen Carter, interior defensive line, Georgia at two. And Will Anderson, junior edge from Alabama at one. Okay, so there is there are some notable omissions here that I know you guys are big fans of. But before we talk about those guys, who here does not deserve to be in your eyes? Uh, this is classic draft network making a non-positional value-based board. 
Now, in real life, um, you don't actually have a 1 through 100 board. You have positional boards, a horizontal board, and you'll, you'll, you'll basically draft based on positionally what you're looking for and roster building as an NFL team. But for the internet, just to simplify it, because really you are kind of still weighing players against each other in the NFL, we like to make one through 300 boards or whatever. Um, so in that case, Bijan Robinson is going to get a day one elite starter running back grade for most NFL teams. But he's not going to be number three on anyone's board. And if you need proof of this, just look at the NFL marketplace, which pays running backs accordingly. <laughs> and if you need even more proof, Mac's going to like this too. If you draft a running back third overall, they instantly become one of the highest paid running backs in the NFL. <laughs> yeah, just because of the rookie wage scale. So it's you're absolutely right. It's it's like lighting a first-round pick on fire at that point. I'm actually going to be on the Bijan first-round train. I'm usually not a big running back's first-round guy. I think he's worth it. He's I would be I even like Saquon went number two not too long ago and I think he's a very good player and I loved Saquon coming out and back then I you know I probably would have taken a number one because I was not as enlightened to the NFL marketplace but I think if he were in the draft today he wouldn't have gone top 10 I just I think this is something the NFL teams have learned I guess I could see Bijan sneaking up you know, in the low teens, maybe he goes top 10, but I'm not going to be a fan of it. It happens. And number three on the board is to me silly, especially when although this QB class hasn't been as good as I hoped it would be. I still think that no one in their right minds who's, who has a need at both positions is taking Bijan over a quarterback. Yeah. I, I don't have a problem with a lot of the players they put there. Like they're all round one kind of guys. But, yeah, Bijan being a top three player, like, maybe skill-wise, he you could make the argument there, but positional value, it's so much lower. Like, you wouldn't, yeah, like you said, you saw Saquon go number two overall, and, yes, he's been a good player for them, but you already see people are making, like, the Giants, who are still struggling with quarterback help right now with Daniel Jones, and there was Lamar and Josh Allen and all these other players that you could have taken that would have been more uh, a bigger contributor positionally value-wise in that draft that they passed over for a running back. And especially with in today's age where running backs are a lot of most teams go with committee, even if they have a bona fide starting number one back, they want to give, keep them fresh, want to keep them healthy as long as possible. So they limit the amount of touches they get. If you draft a dude that high and he's immediately one of the top paid starters in the league, then you feel obliged to give him as many touches and get stray away from that proven formula of the of the group back kind of thing. So. Mm-hmm. I, I think if you're there, if you're there, if you're top three and you're like, my biggest need is running back, you're either confused, riddled with injuries and should trade down or need to reevaluate how you see your team. If you think that your biggest issue is a running back and you're picking third overall, unless you're in a situation like the Eagles where you've traded and magically gotten the third overall pick. But even then you would go with a different valued position. And then with your second pick or with the second round pick, you'd grab a running back if you genuinely thought it was that big of an issue. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, I don't know how, what their justification for it is if they're just like, these are the top 10 graded players, but you know, I think either way, when you're putting a top 10 out there, that it's, you're, you're asking for feedback on that one. Anybody here who, in your opinion is, is blatantly missing? Well, Bryce Young isn't there and you know what? I'm not going to flip about it because 
I think we're still kind of uncertain of how the league views these quarterbacks. I'm pretty, from what we've seen over the past few weeks, I'm pretty sure that Levis, Young, and Stroud are all discussed as first round. Well, we don't wouldn't call them first round players, but day one contributors at the quarterback position in the NFL by teams who are scouting. So I don't know how high they have Levis or Young, but if they don't have them top 10, they should be pretty close at least, you know? Um, and I would even, I think after what we've seen the past few weeks, if it continues, I think the other guy who's going to be in discussions is going to be DJ Lungalole because those tools, if you like Levis, it's similar. I mean, you're seeing the production come from those tools at Clemson, and if they keep winning, they're paying good opponents too. Um, I don't know. It's not like the best draft class for quarterbacks ever. I think it's way better than last year. It's not quite two years ago, and I think next year's is going to be amazing. There's a ton of names for next year, but it's good enough that I'd be shocked if we don't see one at least one go in the top three picks, probably two in the top five. Um, and it's just when you have guys who are viable franchise quarterbacks, they're going to go before all of these other positions. So mm-hmm. I, I, I even like if Stroud is your QB one, I think five's a little low. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and it's not a mock draft to be fair, but still, like, I, yeah. I, I agree with you. All right, let's jump into the prospects that you guys wanted to talk about today. Who do you have on our docket? Uh, here, I'll, I'll jump in real, real quick first. Um, and it has to do because it's going to tie into what we were just talking about the top, their top ten. He's on that top ten list, and it's going to be Cam Smith, the cornerback out of South Carolina. And it comes with a hot take. I have a hot take prepped up and ready to go for him here. Uh, I just got done watching him. I watched some games from last year, and I've caught pretty much all of his games from this year, including the ones that were kind of uh, off the radar, like last week against Georgia State. Uh, the hot take is, and I totally 100% believe this, I'm not just throwing this out here just to be controversial. Over the past two seasons, so last year with Stingley, Gardner-Johnson, uh, guys who were taken last year in the first round, including then this year with guys like uh, Eli Ricks and Keely Ringo from Georgia, Cam Smith is the number one corner from the last two years combined. That is my hot take. I am very much high on Cam Smith. Uh, as a player, you get you get a lot of issues with corners where you're like, especially with like, we saw it last year with Stingley, where it was like some of these guys are not super physical in the run game or they're not willing to be like super physical tacklers. He's got that in spades. He plays like his hair's on fire. He's got the physical abilities and has showed up against big competition. Like uh, last year against Clemson, I know they weren't the best version of Clemson they could be. And I'm excited to see. I, I think they play again this year. I'm not entirely sure, though. Um, if whoever they, whoever they play against. But last year, Clemson was probably their biggest opponent on the schedule. And he showed up big time, made some very big, impressive plays. So, And he just has a good understanding of zone concepts and where to go and how to play high-low concepts when, they're, when he's uh, attacked with them. And he has all the physical tools to play in man coverage. So I think that when it comes to physically, like physical gifted-wise, he's everything you want. Maybe not as good of an athlete as like a Derek Stingley. But I think as an athlete, he's everything you'd want in one corner. He's very intelligent. He's way beyond his years when it comes to zone identification right now. And he just is totally there 100% physically and is like one of those guys who, one of those rare ones that will be willing to go and throw his, uh, to throw hard hits and attack screens super hard and just be that kind of guy that sets a tone on defense from the cornerback position, especially when you're as highly rated, rated nationally as he is. Cam Smith was my number one corner in preseason. I am a big fan of Cam Smith. I didn't have him top 10. He's probably going to end up sneaking in there by the end of the way he's playing right now by the end of the year because I think some other guys um, who I had higher up have not played as well as I'd hoped. 
um, feisty, scrappy player. I mean, there is a play against Clemson where DJ Uangalele uh, breaks free for a run, and I think DJ's got like 40, 50 pounds on him, and Cam Smith just knocks him to the ground, like forcefully. Um, he is a competitor. He contributes in all phases of the game as a run defender, zone player, cover man player. Uh, the only thing that would kind of keep him behind Stingley and Sauce for me is I don't think he quite has the physical tools, but I do think he is the top corner in this draft class right now, and I don't hate the hot take because I think he, if at the NFL level it's not a problem for him, he's going to have that kind of bona fide number one quarter ability. I think a lot of people were really high on J.C. Horn when he came out. I was a little lower. Cam Smith is like what I wanted J.C. Horn to be at the NFL level if he ended up being really good. And I think Horn has ended up being that. So I think it's good from South Carolina's standpoint that you have another corner that looks like that guy uh, and could end up being similar number one corner at the NFL level. I'm, I'm excited for him. I think he's had some really good tape, and it should continue because it's not like that defense is fantastic. He just still stands out because he's so good. Oh, yeah, and he's always – he's always they, they play a tough schedule. It's not like they play a pancake schedule. And I was re- I was high on J.C. Horn just because I watched him, you know, take away Kyle Pitts when they played Florida. And it was kind of a similar feeling when I watched him against uh, Clemson. And even though they don't have the top-tier kind of guys like they used to when it came to, like, receiver talent, but he still took away guys, made plays everywhere. There was a play where he was he was uh, attacked high-low concept in the outside zone. I think it was a cover – was a cover-four match concept. And he was able to sit on the lower route and drive on it. And then as soon as the, uh, his underneath uh, – zone coverage guy got to him he peeled off and even though the receiver was a little bit far behind him and the ball was thrown perfectly he was able to get vertical and break it up even though he wasn't like stuck to him like man-to-man kind of kind of a concept or kind of a leverage there so he has some of the athletic tools you want he's got all like once you hit to a point of a certain athleticism especially as a corner there's like a bar and once you pass it even if you're a slightly better athlete than the next person to you it gets more to technique at that point so i think he's an nfl level athlete he's got the length he's got and he's got everything mentally down and has that tenacity that you want in a number one corner like that all right interesting i mean we've had good corner coming out i mean so well, you said so last year and this year but you're not so you're not going back to 20 the 2020 draft though and you're not talking about Patrick Sertan though or like I'm just want I want to gauge what your thoughts are on that are we going back that far with this take or is this exclusively for 2021 2020 2022 I'd be willing to go back that far I just took it as because last year with Stingley and Sauce and just the, the the hype that was around that corner class um I knew that people would be more attached to that. Like, I, yeah, I'd go back to 2020, even though I know Sertan's been super good, but just looking at it as a pure prospect coming out of college take, uh, I think Cam Smith is probably the best of them. And I just wanted to – I kept it at 2021 just because I know that if you said who's the best corner in the past couple drafts, people would immediately go to either Stingley or Sauce coming out um, if you're looking at it purely just coming out of college. Because Stingley had the hype mm-hmm. since he was a freshman. Sauce had an unbelievable uh, campaign last year. People were going to immediately think of them. So I thought just to – not muddied it up too much. Uh, I just went with that. Yeah. Okay. I got you. That's, I mean, that's, that's, that's big. He's, that's, that's big. Cause we had some really good corners. Okay. All right. Who else do you have for us? Um, so I have a couple guys down. Uh, let's stick with the corner talk because, um, and I didn't mention this guy before the show to, to, uh, Owen, I should have when I messaged him earlier, but Clark Phillips, this is just a quick shout out for him because this guy had three interceptions this past week and he has four this year. And he's been a guy I really haven't dived into the tape a whole lot, but he had hype preseason. 
Uh, I saw him mocked like late first in a couple of mock drafts. Um, and I will say this week, the three-pick game against Oregon State was not fluky at all. Every interception he had was like a pretty great man cover play. Uh, he had two, which were what we call kind of your jolt drive type plays where he takes a step in the ground against a comeback, drives upfield on the ball, and just makes excellent plays on passes that neither was like a fantastic maybe decision by the quarterback, but they are NFL plays. Like this is a play you want your corner to make at the NFL level if you're taking him early in drafts. One of them he was able to take back for a touchdown. Um, and then the other interception was a jump ball in the end zone where he, again, makes an amazing hands play on the ball. So in a league that is becoming so dependent on corners who can play the ball well and when we're using EPA as a statistic to measure you know, output from team defense, team offense, turnovers become really important because they carry heavy negative EPA. Uh, it really benefits defenses. Uh, this is why Trayvon Diggs probably gets credit despite giving up yards last year for all those interceptions is because he's able to make plays that swing the game on their own despite giving up you know a 40-yard pass if you can then turn around and get a pick six that's going to make up for giving up a 40-yard pass right uh and I think Clark Phillips at the moment as a man corner is kind of in that mold I, I don't really know what his measurables are I really need to look into him a little bit more uh but he's off to a very good start for Utah's defense who has been playing well lately and they have a big game against UCLA this week um so again uh let's move on to another guy actually really quick here jordan addison because i i don't really want to cover these guys too much because i think everyone knows that jordan addison is good but he has had kind of the season that i've hoped for him with caleb williams deep threat guy that i think you can use as a gadget player my concern with him he's really good sitting in zones he's really good getting open with speed quickness acceleration is that he's not great at the catch point and i think he's been way better with that this year um, I wouldn't call him quite a Jalen Waddle type, but he has kind of mini skinny Jalen Waddle, not maybe as fast ability for USC. And in an offense that has some weapons, but he is clearly the number one. He has continuously produced and has been, when they need a big play, he's been there for them. And right now for me, I mean, it's been kind of an unfortunate start for these wide receivers. Jackson Smith and Jigba hasn't played yet. Keishon Butte hasn't been good in LSU's offense. Uh, Addison, I think for a lot of people has kind of moved up into that wide receiver one territory and a relatively weaker class because of the production so far at USC. Yeah, I think the comp to Waddle is pretty good because when it came to Waddle, everyone was talking about his speed and things like that. But the biggest knock on him was, oh, he's not the biggest guy. But he showed that he had like that alpha dog mentality. He's going to go up and he's going to get those jump ball. He's going to out physical guys at the point of the uh, catch, even if he's a smaller a player in that exchange where Addison it was kind of similar he's not the burner Waddle is obviously because he's you know very very elite company up there but when it came to negatives against him it was always his size is he gonna be able to play outside the slot because he's not that big how he's gonna deal with physical play from bigger corners and for a team where now there's no like obviously at Kenny Pickett last year but I feel like it's pretty easy to just say Caleb Williams is probably a better quarterback than Kenny Pickett was in college anyway uh, we'll see how that goes in the NFL but if with now with great quarterback play, he's able to come out and he's just got to focus on answering those negatives. And I think his play this year has gone a long way to, you know, we already knew what he was good at. Now we're knowing that he can improve and get better at what we thought were downsides as a prospect. Uh, no, I was, I was just going to add, I, again, I want to impress upon the fact that he is not, I don't think in the Jalen Waddle realm of prospect. Um, this is a guy that like, I probably would have top 15, maybe top 10 right now. Um, 
because he isn't physically he's not a big guy he's pretty skinny he's kind of got not quite a Devonte smith build but like he's closer to that than he is jalen waddle's build um so it's a little concerning but in terms of alpha dog play i think where you see that from him it's in space hey, this guy has an amazing one step in open space he just makes guys miss he doesn't really have the power to break tackles but he is just a competitor with a ball in his hands and it's it's really fun to i hate saying fun to watch but it is it's fun to watch when he has the ball in his hands <laughs> Yeah, I get you. So, I mean, if we're stacking these guys up just as a reference point for for some of the the really good wide receivers we've had over the past, let's just say two years to again to keep it simple. If we're looking at guys like Drake London, like uh, Garrett Wilson, like Waddle, like Jamar Chase, where 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 are we stacking Jordan Addison up against this these two classes? I know maybe you haven't done final grades, so just as a preliminary, you don't have to lock yourself into this. I was a big Garrett Wilson guy last year. I I wasn't. Yeah, I, I was really late to the Drake London party. Um, I was not high on him throughout the season, and then as it as it got more and more towards the end of the uh, year, and I was able to go and get into more of his film, he got into the first round for me. Uh, originally, I had him as like a number two guy just because I was worried about his separation ability. I don't have that worry about with that with Addison. So I think I I think I'll take him over London, who was I think one of the what, I think he was a top was he the top receiver draft this year I believe. If I'm recalling correctly, eight, I think. Yeah. Uh, so I, I liked Garrett Wilson a lot. Garrett Wilson, was, Garrett Wilson was my wide receiver one last year. I th- I think I'd still take Garrett Wilson over Addison as of right now just because I have the full disc- uh, discography of uh, Wilson. And Addison still has some ball to play in college. And it just, you know, the physicals where Garrett Wilson was more filled out frame-wise and he was really good after the catch. Addison has the potential to pass him. But if you're talking right now, and if we're going all the way back to 2020 with Chase and uh, Waddle, I don't think he stacks up to either of those guys. I think he'd probably be four for me right now if we're looking at the last two, three years, however uh, we're, we're discussing this. But I think he is still probably the top receiver of this class right now and has the ability to move up those rankings. Probably not past Chase and Waddle, but he could definitely pass Garrett Wilson in my eyes. All right, what I about had, you, Nick? I had Wilson as an 80 I had Drake London as a 78 on my grading. Um, so then the next two guys were Jamison Williams and Chris Olave, tied with 76, and I gave a slight edge to Olave because of the injury to Williams. Williams might have had an, like an 80-ish grade if he wasn't hurt for me last year. I was actually pretty high on him. So I'd probably put Addison in that 76, 77 range right now. That's just eyeing it out, and I actually have to go through the process. But he's going to be first round but not not in elite territory as long as as far as wide receiver prospects go so you think top six is probably a bit rich for him just based off of the that original ranking i brought up at the beginning of the show yeah probably Probably, okay good i think it's important to put into context you know what these guys look like and compared to the to the players that people may like i think there's a lot of people out there like me who get into the draft after the season and so this is just a reference point for them, you know, after watching these guys and knowing what we've seen from them coming out. So what else do we have? Any any guys that you want to hit quick before uh, we wrap up our draft podcast for this week? Yeah, I'll just do quickly throw one out um, just because I know we were just talking about the Drake London stuff. And I was talking about how I was kind of worried about a separation, kind of a bigger receiver. So I wanted to shout out uh, real quick A.T. Perry, wide receiver from Wake Forest. He plays in an offense I absolutely despise with the slow mesh kind of read option thing, the RPO stuff. But 
as a guy who's can use his physicality in the route stem, he's 6'5", 205. He was a, a Blitnikoff semifinalist last year and like had a Wake Forest record 15 receiving touchdowns last year. And he hasn't really lost a step uh, when it comes to this season's this season when it comes to like you know on tape. I think last week I, I highlighted it last week in an article on Gridiron Heroics that I thought that. Florida State was going to try to take away his over-the-top nature because he is one of those guys who can get downfield and score those big-time touchdowns. He's more like a DK Metcalf who, even though he's huge, he's able to get downfield and get some speed. And he showed up in the short intermediate game with some good uh, slants, good footwork. He's got a great footwork on the release, so he's not able to get jammed up like some of these other bigger guys can. And he's able to show off some of that mid- to intermediate-level route running and things I like like that, unlike a guy like Dante Demas from Maryland who's more of that just straight-up deep threat, tall kind of receiver. So... Uh, A.T. Perry is definitely someone I'm looking to see if he can move up more, especially when the combine rolls around. Love big athletic receivers. I haven't watched a whole lot of A.T. Perry or Wake Forest in general this year, so that's one I'm going to have to dive into. Um, they, they did play Florida State this week. It was a pretty big game, so maybe I'll go back and watch that whole game and check it out. Um, yeah, uh, check out an article. We wrote an article this week, and we're going to do it again this week, of inter- previewing some of these college prospect matchups versus good teams or good units and at perry was written about it by owen uh we had a couple other players siaka siaki ika devin leary clemson's d-line and blake Corm highlighted in that article so check that out we did a recap we should have another one coming out or at the end of this week uh previewing for week six of college football as well um i mean we can if we want to like dive into more of what we wrote about in the recap <laughs> a little bit we can i mean we have some stuff. Uh, it's, it's Ika at Baylor, I was concerned this week. He's a nose tackle. He's a big guy, uh, kind of in the Vita Vea mold of, you know, 340 pounds, 6'5", eat up space. More Need that more in today's NFL where we're hoping that your four-down players can stop the run when you're dropping into two high coverages. And this week they play Oklahoma State, who has an explosive offense, a kind of a good college quarterback in Spencer Saunders run a lot of RPO stuff, and Oklahoma State kind of just ran sweeps, jet sweeps, stretches. They just didn't really run the ball up the middle all game. They got a lead early, um, and Ika wasn't on the field a whole lot because they don't really use him as, like, a three-down pass rusher or a third-down pass rusher when, when you know, or, or sorry, they got down. So, Oklahoma, right, this is what happened. Oklahoma State was running the ball a lot. I'm getting all mixed up. Um, and they were just continuously running it away from him. So I think they just didn't really play him a whole lot. He got a little beat up early in the game. Um, and they did have some short yardage stop opportunities and Oklahoma state ran QB sneaks and it just, they kind of minimized his ability to really affect the game. So I'm not, it's hard to have much of a takeaway from that matchup. And it's a thing, unfortunately, that happens a lot with defensive line prospects. When teams know that they can impact the game in college, they can play around them because there are other weaknesses often on college defenses that you can attack. Yeah, and then another guy, like we were talking about how we're talking about the article we wrote last week, uh, Blake Corum, running back from Michigan. He had a big game against uh, Maryland. He had like 30 carries for 240 yards. And I highlighted that he was going against Iowa this past week. And Iowa, even though they're not the offensive juggernaut that most college teams are, they always typically have these really good defenses. And they have um, the linebacker's name is eluding me, but he's like, he's a potential first round pick kind of guy. Uh, yes, Jack Campbell. Um, and they have some. They just always bring out some good defensive players, and they're always good at recruiting that side of the ball. And they're always the big physical ones. And Corum's a five eight kind of. He's got he's got a kind of more of a speed game to him. Uh, and he's five eight. And I wanted to see if they would be able to run the ball with him as much, uh, especially between the tackles, because being a smaller dude against a big physical front like Iowa. And he was able to do it again. I think he had another thirty some carries for 
100 some yards and he didn't have like I think he averaged 5.8 yards a carry if I'm just off serving off of memory alone it was like five plus yards a carry and he only had one big run his biggest run was 20 yard run at the end of the game that really iced it when they sold out to stop a fourth and one he just bounced it outside so he was doing a lot of damage six seven yards a pop in the, between the tackles throughout that game so he's a smaller guy who can shows off he can carry a, a full workload and still bring some power and uh aggressiveness to his running game unlike some of the smaller other smaller guys we've seen come out recently 29 carries for a buck 33 and a score for quorum 4.6 a pop he's gotten 59 carries over the last two weeks from michigan they're really starting to work horse him in here nice all right beautiful guys thank you for joining me again to recap these prospects and you're we're simultaneously recapping and previewing i guess at this point so (laughs) I mean, that's uh, what it all is, though, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's Just that's exactly what evaluation is. So, um, All right. So, uh, again, guys, look out for the article that these guys post every single week at the end of the week, previewing these guys um, in their matchups, and then, of course, after the weekend, recapping how they did. I think that's a great way to, to get an early look at some of these guys. And, of course, Draft Talk will be heating up, I think, Usually by early November, we know who's going to be picking around the top 10, you know, even if it's not the exact order. Commanders are going to be picking top five. Thank goodness they they didn't somehow give away their first round pick in that Carson Wentz trade, and they have the opportunity to trade another guy. So, (laughs) But uh, yeah, all right, so uh, can't wait till mock draft season starts. You know, that gets crazy, and we will 100% be a part of that. Oh, boy. All right. Nick, let everybody know where they can find you uh, until then. At Nick with Sports on Twitter, and you can give Sports Info Solutions and at SIS underscores football on Twitter as well as a follow for any data updates that we have we're sending out. There's a lot of D-line and O-line data getting sent out every week because that's what we mainly are collecting. But as far as beyond that, check out Gridiron Heroic's website. We will have articles up soon. I think Friday is when we're probably going to drop our preview. So, Look for that. Yeah, and you can find me uh, at the Weekly Huddle on YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, I've been posting a little more frequently now that I've gotten kind of into the rhythm and flow of how my school schedule is going to be working. And uh, as Nick said, every uh, this Friday we should have a new article out previewing this week. And then by next week, Monday or Tuesday, we should have one uh, summarizing the guys we, we wrote about previously. So you can catch me uh, doing work there. I'm going to maybe branch out and do a couple of my own independent stuff just whenever I can. So just check around. I'll be posting stuff irregularly <laughs> are you saying all of your work and time and effort is not and not for us here <laughs> you know what you're right I, I i do i do put all my time and effort right into the right into great heroics <laughs> <laughs> all right thanks yeah yeah exactly who, who does all right uh we will see you guys again next week and as always appreciate you thank you so much for listening to our draft episode for week four of nfl action Remember, I'm Max Dean. You can find me on Twitter at TheMaxDean. And the Gridiron Heroics Football Show is available anywhere podcasts can be found. We will be back tomorrow to recap the Thursday night game between the Colts and Broncos. And then we are going to pick every single game against the spread for Sunday football. Please rate, review, follow, subscribe, anything you can to help us out. We very much appreciate it. And we will see you all very soon.